Good morning, and um, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 15, starting to read at verse 33. So it's Mark 15, starting at verse 33. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many of the women who had come to up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Well, God, God will bless the reading of his word. Let's just pray as we gather around it together. Father, again, we come to you this morning in our own weakness and our own lack of understanding, our lack of appreciation of these words that sometimes we must admit we grow familiar with. We fail to see what's really happening here. Help us not to be like that crowd. Help us to see the truth of who you are and the glory of what you have done for us. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this passage in Mark 15 uh, that we just read, I've titled it Victory Through Apparent Defeat. You know, when we look for truth, we listen to what is said and we also listen for what is not said. We've already seen the truth of Isaiah's prophecy that tells us that Jesus would be silent. Isaiah 53 verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb, led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And we saw that how the Sanhedrin had accused Jesus, and when they did that, and they leveled those accusations against him, he did not speak to them. He was silent. When Jesus stood before Pilate, Pilate noticed that Jesus did not speak against his accusers. But when Pilate asked Jesus if he was the king of the Jews, Jesus did speak, he did answer him. Pilate asked a direct question. And this was not an accusation from Pilate. And this is why Jesus spoke. And Jesus spoke in answer to the question. And his answer was confirmation of the truth of who Jesus really was. So Isaiah's prophecy is true. 
The words that Jesus spoke from the cross are recorded for us by the gospel writers. And these words are true. Even though some of the gospel writers don't tell us all the words that Jesus said and just tell us some of the words that Jesus said, that doesn't make the words that were spoken from the cross any less true. You see, in Luke, in his gospel, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Again, in Luke, in his gospel, a bit further down in chapter 23, he tells us that Jesus said, Truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. That is when he spoke to the penitent thief on the cross. John chapter 19. Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. We go to Matthew's gospel, and in Mark's gospel, they tell us that Jesus said from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? John 19 tells us that Jesus said, I thirst. And then he says that Jesus said, It is finished. And Luke in his gospel tells us that Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So it's good to read all the gospel writers to get the full picture. But we're going to stick with Mark this morning and look at what he has to say. And in verse 15, verse uh, chapter 15, verse 33, this is what he said. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. So from 9 a.m. until noon, three hours of physical agony. This is in addition to the agony that Jesus had already suffered prior to be handed over by Pilate. All the abuse and the pain laid upon the second Adam was on Jesus, the man who was laying down his life for us. In the words of John in chapter 15, verse 13 through to 15, this is what Jesus said. And he's speaking to his disciples. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. And here on Calvary's cross, we are seeing Jesus loving us as he lays down his life. All the way through this, we see the humanity of Jesus as he follows the will of the Father. You know, the truth is many others have followed his command and they have laid down their life for the gospel. That's what Jesus was saying to his disciples when he spoke those words that we've just read together. But here, this is Jesus the man on the cross. This is Jesus the sinless man. The one and only perfect man. The one who at the same time is God with us. The three hours of agony from nine o'clock through to twelve o'clock continued and they descended into three hours of darkness. The agony of the divine Son of God 
having his father turn his face away as the sins of the whole human race are placed upon his shoulders. And as he drinks from the cup that was reserved for him and reserved for him alone. Let's just for a moment think about this darkness. This was not an eclipse. Do not try to explain this away as a natural act that we can understand. I don't think that we should even try to analyse or explain it other than to say that this was the darkest time in the history of humanity. But through it, the light of the world would shine victorious as the darkness is defeated. Victory through apparent defeat. Matthew 4, verse 16. This is what we read. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And what did Jesus say when he ministered as he walked this earth? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And that's who he is. We've looked at Isaiah. I want us just to turn to a couple of verses from Isaiah 53. The first few verses I want to read, I want to title this as Jesus the Man. This is what Isaiah said. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. That's Jesus the man. Let's consider Jesus the Christ. Let's continue in Isaiah. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. That is about Jesus, the Christ. Mark 15 verse 34. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lamach sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are the words of Jesus during this time of darkness. This is a cry from the divine Jesus, the promised one, the Messiah, the one who has no sin, the one who has no guilt, the one who has no penalty of death hanging over him, all this pain and abandonment is taken totally by him on our behalf. He is bearing our iniquities. That's in the words of Isaiah. You know, and I, I got to this point when I was preparing for this, the 
the thought that came to my mind was Amazing Grace and the words from that hymn. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? What goes on in verse 35? When I saw those standing near heard this, they list, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. You know, this tells us something of how little these people really understood what was happening here. Did they think that Elijah was greater than this man on the cross? Did they think that Elijah could come and rescue the Son of God? But then they didn't know at that point that he was the Son of God. They refused to accept it. Mark 36 through to 37. Some ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last Sometimes we can even be distracted by the text. And that distraction can move us away from the real meaning of what is happening here. You know, I've spoken to people who have been confused by some elements of this, the story of the crucifixion. They've asked the question, was Jesus offered something to drink while on the cross? And if he did, did he drink it or did he refuse it? And then they go away with that question in their mind and they go away thinking, oh, well, the Bible contradicts itself. The Bible does not contradict itself. It is God's truthful word. So in answer to that question, it's a question that deserves an answer. And the answer is clear. And even the reasons that these things happen are clear. I want us to, just for a few moments, go back in uh, Mark's Gospel, to chapter 15, still in the same chapter, but verse 23. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. This was as they arrived at Golgotha. This was the offer of a drink that would dull the pain, and Jesus refused to take it. Mark 15, verse 36. That's where we're up to this morning. A second drink that he took was offered. This was just before he breathed his last. So Mark is telling us that there was roughly a six-hour gap between the first drink he was offered that he refused and the final drink that he was offered that he accepted. Let me read from Matthew uh, chapter 27, verse 33 to 34. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. Okay, let's go further down Mark's, uh, Matthew's uh, Gospel, 27 verse 48 to 50. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, offered it to Jesus to drink. 
The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Again, just like Mark, two drinks, one offered at the beginning, just as Jesus was being crucified, as being prepared to be nailed to the cross, and one at the end. Go to Luke's Gospel. And Luke doesn't mention any drink being offered. Just because he doesn't mention it doesn't mean that it happened. Let's go to John's Gospel. John mentions only one of the drinks, but he does tell us when this drink was offered and accepted. So, John 19, verse 28 to 30. Later, knowing that everything had been finished, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus, Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So John is telling us about the drink that was offered at the end, knowing that everything had been finished. That's important. We know that Jesus spoke and said, I am thirsty. And we know that when he took that drink, he said, it's finished. So the answer to our question, was Jesus offered a drink on the cross? If he was, did he drink it or did he refuse it? The answer is, two drinks, one offered at the beginning to remove some of the agony of the crucifixion. Jesus refused the offer. He would bear the pain alone as he was called to do so. The second drink was offered at the end when his work was done. He had hung on the cross for six hours. His earthly body was broken. His tongue by now would have claved to his, the roof of his mouth. Speech would be difficult. His divine work was complete, but he still had something to say. And being like us in every way other than sinning, he needed a little bit of help, help in freeing his mouth so that he could make that victorious announcement to the world. And what was it? It is finished. And that really is what we need to see here and not be distracted by questioning the text. The perfect sacrifice has been offered. Let's go back to Mark 15 verse 38. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The new way is open to the real Holy of Holies, the place where God dwells. Open to the throne of God. The people who witnessed the death of Jesus did not understand what was happening. And many today still do not understand why Jesus had to die. You know, some people say, if God is a God of love, why can't he just forgive us without Jesus having to die this way? God is a God of love. But the answer is that God is also a God of justice. I thought about this, and this is just a hypothetical situation that I'll share with you that 
you know, it doesn't really answer the question, but it might help us to understand it a little bit more. Imagine a judge is presiding over a case. And in the case, it's his wife who's in the dock and his wife is found guilty of a serious crime. As a husband, he loves her. But as a judge, he cannot acquit her. A crime has been committed. She is guilty. And there is a price to be paid. Someone will have to make amendment for the crime. And out of love, the judge steps down and pays the price. That's very weak in comparison to what is happening here, but I hope it helps us understand it a little bit. Why do we need the cross? Jesus is God who became man so that he could do what we, the guilty sinner, could not do. And that is pay in full the debt that we owe. This is a phrase that you might have heard before. Substitutional atonement. Substitutional atonement was made for us on the cross. What does that mean? It means that he died in our place to make things right. It means that the cross is where love and justice meet. Listen to this verse from Romans 3, verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. You know, that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. But that verse goes on and Paul says this. To be received by faith. This is what we need to do to be set free from our guilt. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Let's just go back to the foot of the cross. I believe on that day, there was one man who stood there who saw what we need to see today. He saw the truth of what was happening. Mark tells us in verse 39 of chapter 15, And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Imagine Mark's Roman readers hearing these words, words spoken from one of their own, words spoken from a man who they knew would probably have seen lots of people die, a hardened soldier, a centurion. And he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. What is your reaction to those words this morning? I'm going to finish with that question. I finish in the knowledge that it's God who can use that to his glory. Glory through apparent defeat. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for this short time that we spent together and we pray that you might speak to us through your word and through 
the things that we have looked at this morning. So we commit these things into the power of your Holy Spirit that your word might bear fruit. And our Father, we bring these things before you in the name of the one who hung upon that cross, the one who is Jesus, the man, the Christ, the Saviour, surely the man who is the Son of God. His name we ask it. Amen.